everyone, Suava. Welcome after a longer than anticipated break. The pandemic unfortunately managed to slow us down, but nothing can stop our search for the Slavic soul. So we are back with another episode of Vitya's podcast. Uh, my name is Magda Lewandowska, and uh, today I want to talk a bit about pre-Christian Slavic ethics. As always, a couple of disclaimers. Firstly, I wanted to remind you all that when I talk about ancestors or Slavic ancestors, I mean the pre-Christian early medieval Slavs. Also, to answer some uh, comments under our recent blog post, while searching for the Slavic soul, we are looking for knowledge in the original historical sources uh, written by early medieval historians or hagiographers such as Helmond or Herbert or Ebon and others. Uh, those sources are quite scarce and they are known to pretty much everyone who is interested in pre-Christian Slavic culture or history. Vitya does not do any original research. We are only focusing on looking at the already existing and known historical documents or discoveries. We want to look at it with a fresh eye of a pagan, without any influences from other cultures. With disclaimers out of the way, uh, let's just jump into the topic. The ethics or morality of pre-Christian Slavs is a surprisingly popular topic of conversations or even lectures particularly considering that there isn't much known about our ancestors' ethical values. Despite very little knowledge and not much research about and into the topic of Slavic ethics, modern preachers of Slavic faith tell us, the modern Rodnovers, about our obligation to be honorable or righteous. Um, they tell us that we have to build stable, traditional families, and that our marriages have to be monogamous and heterosexual, because apparently our ancestors knew only that. On top of it, we are taught that the only goal of our marriages is to have children, so we can bring them up to be righteous Slavic men and women who will pass the Slavic tradition on to the next generations, obviously generations of the right ethnicity, because according to Żerce, which is the uh, traditional name of uh, priests in Slavic religion. So, according to Żerce, Rodnoveri is a religion of Slavs and Slavs only. It remains a mystery where from the modern Slavic preachers take their confidence in honorable conduct of pre-Christian Slavs. The historical sources don't show our ancestors as particularly honorable in the popular meaning of this word, Quite the opposite. Most of the chronicles portrayed pre-Christian Slavs as deceptive, backstabbing perjurers who should never be trusted. Yet, despite that, somehow, in the 21st century, Żerce, so again, Slavic priest, lecture us to be honorable and righteous. It seems that the Slavic preachers have made up and keep making up quite a lot of stuff they preach about. Why do they make it up? Well, your guess is as good as mine. Maybe they just make up stuff to have something to preach about, because, you know, if one wants to stick to the facts, there really isn't so much to being a Slav or Slavic or a Rodnover from a perspective of ethics or morality. And there isn't much, because we know even less about pre-Christian Slavic ethics than we know about Slavic religion. 
and unless brand new, so far unknown historical sources emerge, we will not know anymore. So if we don't know and won't know much about pre-Christian Slavic morality, we cannot expect anybody to be honorable or racious in a Slavic way. Why? Because morality, a moral code, is a point of reference for honorable conduct. In order to be honorable, one has to have a moral code to guide his or her actions. Because, despite the popular belief, honor is a very relative idea. For some, honorable conduct means being truthful or just, but for some it means killing your own daughter after she was raped, or mutilating her genitals before she hits puberty. The meaning of honorable conduct differs from culture to culture. It differs because honor needs a moral code as a point of reference. So, if we don't know what pre-Christian Slavs considered moral, how on earth can we be expected to be honorable in a Slavic way? By the way, the same goes for the concept of righteousness. In order to be righteous, one needs to know, understand and follow the society's moral code, laws and social norms. If you don't know the rules of social interaction and lawful conduct among pre-Christian Slavs, you cannot possibly be a racious Rodnover. And let's say it once more to make sure it sinks. We don't know what our ancestors considered moral, ethical or righteous. So another thing our creative jerts are making up quite often is the concept of traditional Slavic family. According to the Rodnovery preacher, such traditional marriage should be stable, monogamous, heterosexual and focus on making racially and ethnically pure Slavic children. And a funny thing is, Żerce actually got one thing right here, the making children part, but not the racial or ethnical purity or, in fact, anything else. For a change, we do know quite a lot about pre-Christian Slavic marriages. We know they were, or rather they could be, polygamous, and we know that divorces were allowed. We also know what was required for a pre-Christian Slavic marriage to be legal, and this requirement was a wedding gift. In order to marry his beloved, a pre-Christian Slavic man had to produce a very valuable wedding gift. Those gifts had to be so valuable that actually not many men could afford it. Hence, the polygamy was something only the most rich and affluent could afford. For example, Mieszko I, the Duke of Poland, had seven wives, which he had to divorce before marrying Dobrawa and accepting Christianity, but that's another story. Vladimir the Great, the ruler of Kievan Rus, was even better than Mieszko, or worse. Well, whether Vladimir was better or worse than Mieszko really depends on your moral principle or social norms you follow, so here you have another example on <laughs> of how relative those ideas are. Um, where was I? Vladimir the Great. He had over a dozen wives and according to the chronicles, 800 or so of concubines. And that's documented in the chronicles. I'm not making it up. Both Mieszko and Vladimir were very well off. They were powerful rulers and they could afford to produce many wedding gifts and marry many Slavic women who, you know, were not cheap. They were very, very expensive to marry. So expensive, in fact, that sometimes poor men asked their relatives to help them to put together a decent wedding gift. 
in those situations, it could happen that the relative or relatives who contributed to the wedding gift were actually allowed to share the wife. So, our ancestors not only allowed men to have many wives, but also women to have many husbands. Sure, the many husbands option wasn't in a way by choice, but it was a result of lack of resources on the husband's side, but still, there can be no doubt that our ancestors' marriages were everything but monogamous. Oh, I forgot. A husband could also inherit a wife from his brother or son, so that was another way for a man to end up with more than one wife. The inheritance also was the only way that did not require to make a wedding gift, so, you know, that was the cheap option. <laughs> promotion, <laughs> bury one brother and get a wife free, uh, <laughs> sorry for that, back to the topic, <laughs> wedding gifts, I was talking about wedding gifts, uh, they had to be valuable and not all men could afford it, which means that pre-Christian Slavic women were not cheap, and it's no wonder, because after entering into a Slavic marriage, a Slavic wife was expected to be faithful, after she accepted the wedding gift from her husband, she was, by law, not allowed to have sexual relationships with any other men. Adultery was punishable for both the wife and her lover, and the penalties were severe, like genital mutilation, including amputations of penis or vulva. Death penalty was also possible, and that for both the lover and the wife. So, as I said before, that was the one thing that modern Slavic preachers got right. The pre-Christian Slavic marriage clearly was all about producing offspring. The wife's job was to have children of the man who she accepted the wedding gift from. We could say that being a wife was a kind of occupation for at least some of the Slavic women. Like men, if they had appropriate physical abilities like strength or hardiness, uh, a Slavic man could sign up to serve a Slavic duke to fight for his cause or even die in his defense, and those men who signed up to serve a Slavic duke were paid handsomely and expect to serve faithfully. So, women, if they wanted and had appropriate physical abilities like, I don't know, beauty or white hips, women could also enlist to be somebody's wife. They could in exchange for a valuable wedding gift, accept a duty to serve faithfully as a wife and to bear her husband, the man who paid the wedding gift, to bear him and only him the children he needed to continue his bloodline. The ethnicity or race of those children did not matter in the slightest, as long as the husband was their father. We know that Slavs married Germans, Vikings or Celts, so clearly they didn't care about the ethnicity or the pureness of the Slavic blood. What they cared about was something else. It was the pureness of the bloodline of the husband's family or clan. So why do modern Rodnoveri preachers talk about ethnicity or even skin color? I have no idea. But what I know, it's bullshit. It's not true and has no basis in any historical sources. Pre-Christian Slavs were not racist or xenophobes. We shouldn't be either. And while we're on the topic of Slavic wives, I'd like to very briefly discuss the unmarried women in pre-Christian Slavic society who, as it seems, were not required to be faithful, sexually exclusive, modest or anything else. 
Although the Judeo-Christian culture allows women to only be virgins or wives, there isn't any other option in this culture, but in pre-Christian Slavic culture, women were allowed to take on other roles as well. An unmarried woman among Slavs was free to decide if she wanted to have a sexual relationship with whom she wanted it, if she wanted to have children or not. There cannot be any doubts that such free women existed among pre-Christian Slavs, because if they didn't, the ritual orgies mentioned in many chronicles could not have taken place, because there wouldn't be enough participants. If pre-Christian unmarried Slavic girls or women were not allowed sexual freedom, if prayer of extramarital sex was not accepted in the society of our ancestors, who would have danced around the Kupawa's bonfires? the duke and his wives, would the chronicles, missionaries and medieval preachers have wasted their time, parchment and ink, to lecture the husbands and the wives not to look for a fern flower in the forest? Obviously they wouldn't. So why then modern Rodnovery preachers expect faithfulness and childbearing from women who did not receive an appropriate wedding gift? from women who, according to the Slavic tradition, are not married and are free to do whatever they want. It seems that the preachers, as preachers in most religions tend to do, instead of leaving women the heck alone, they decide to make up a shitload of restrictions for them because, you know, a woman needs to know her place. So you've got to be blind not to see a direct copy of Judeo-Christian doctrine here. A woman has to be this and that and do this and that and it's all for the benefit of the man and the greater good and the bloody God himself. But no, this is not how our ancestors saw it. A woman could do whatever she wanted with her body and her life. If she wanted to get married, she could. And the act of getting married, the act of accepting the wedding gift, it came with a requirement of sexual monogamy. But accepting the requirement of being faithful to her husband was paid for handsomely, so it wasn't a sacrifice. It wasn't a burden or a cross like the Judeo-Christian religion wants it to be. It was a job. A job a woman could accept if she wanted, but did not have to if she didn't. Now we know what the modern preachers of Slavic ethic get so very, very wrong. So now it's time to discuss things that they don't preach about, but really should. Because, believe it or not, there are things that we do know about pre-Christian Slavs for sure. Slavic hospitality is one of them. Hospitality is one of the few truly Slavic traditions documented in many chronicles and not questioned by the historians. We know for sure that our ancestors received guests with style and joy. We know from historical sources that refusing to accept a guest was ostracized by the pre-Christian Slavic society and sometimes even, according to some chronicles, punished by the destruction or loss of property. Slavic hospitality amazed both Christian and not-Christian chronicles. Our ancestors were praised for their hospitality even in chronicles which were heavily driven by ideology, which was very common in medieval ages because back then they didn't know the idea of objectivity of the media. 
There can be no doubt that hospitality was very common and typical for Slavs, if it is mentioned even by the most prejudiced sources. So it's very weird that modern preachers of the Slavic faith do not talk much about this very Slavic and very old tradition honored by our ancestors. It is not possible to say why exactly Slavs were so hospitable. Maybe there is some truth in the old Polish proverb which goes Bóg w dom, gość w dom, which means guest at home, God at home. Maybe pre-Christian Slavs did believe that their gods traveled the land and occasionally visit people's homes. Or perhaps our ancestors received guests in order to protect themselves from the malevolent spirits. I'm sure you all know that in the medieval ages, traveling was an extremely dangerous enterprise, and pretty much only travelers became guests to our ancestors' houses. It is not beyond the realm of possibility that pre-Christian Slavs eagerly helped out travelers to ensure that, in case the traveler died at a later stage of the journey and turned into a demon, the demon will not seek revenge or attack a person who refused to help. Whatever were the motivations of our ancestors, there is no doubt that they went above and beyond to show their guests how welcome they were. So, what does it mean to us? How should we, the modern Rodnovers, follow this ancient Slavic tradition of hospitality? Firstly, we need to figure out who should we be hospitable to. So we need to figure out how to tell if a stranger is a guest or, I don't know, an enemy or an invader. Our ancestors had it very easy here, because more often than not, they could recognize a guest without any major problems, because a guest would speak differently, look differently, but also he or she would not wave a sword or shoot a bow towards our ancestors. Unfortunately, accurately recognizing a guest is not so straightforward in the 21st century. With globalization, economical migrations, touristic boom and increased social isolation, how can we recognize who is a guest and who is a tourist or a criminal, uh, an economic migrant or even our own neighbor? Ever-progressing unification of cultures makes recognizing a guest even more difficult. Without tribal or clan differences in clothing, hairstyles or jewelry, how we are supposed to distinguish who is local and who is foreign? Who is a guest then? A guest is a person who is unknown and unrelated to us and who we invite to be our guest, which means we invite him or her to live with us for a period of time, which might not be set in advance but is nevertheless limited. From this definition, we can see that a guest is a person who does not plan to stay with us or, you know, on our land forever. A guest arrives and after a period of time, leaves. From this, it follows that an economic migrant is not a guest as he or she arrives into our land to stay permanently, not as a guest would, just to visit. But how we are supposed to know what are the intentions of a person who arrives at our house or into our land? Well, the truth is we won't know those intentions until we talk to this person, until we get to know him or her, and through his or her words or actions, we understand the true intentions of the newcomer. 
Hence, if we want to honor our ancestors' ethics and traditions, we must individually assess and understand every single person who visits our land or home. So as Slavs, as Rodnovers, as the heirs to our ancestors' heritage, we must not judge foreigners basing on their race, ethnicity or looks. The ethical principles of our ancestors' religion require that we are hospitable, that we receive guests and treat them with respect and openness. Our ancestors invited under their roofs Jews, Muslims, Christians, Vikings. They opened their homes to merchants, to diplomats and missionaries. Their hospitality knew no limits and no exceptions, regardless of the guest's ethnicity, skin color, style of clothing, or any other differences. How do we know it? From Chronicles. We know that Christian missionaries were very surprised with Slav's hospitality. We know that our ancestors invited those Christian missionaries to Slavic temples and other places of worship. We know that even after many acts of vandalism on Slavic temples performed by Christian missionaries, our ancestors did not stop being hospitable towards Christians. Yes, eventually they forbid Christians from entering Slavic temples, but they were still happy to invite the Christians as guests to their own homes. Despite harm done to our ancestors by followers of a different religion, pre-Christian Slavs refused to make a generalization. They refused to judge newcomers at a first sight, basing only on the newcomer's religion, dress or skin color. Our ancestors remained faithful to their hospitable traditions. Why then we, while reconstructing the religion and ethics of our ancestors, why do we forget about hospitality? Why? I really truly don't know. But hospitality is not the only Slavic, uh, let's call it, commandment the preachers of Rodnoveri forget about. The historical sources on pre-Christian Slavs, a part of hospitality, they also recorded that our ancestors cared greatly for their parents. This information is mentioned in too many independent chronicles for us to question or doubt it. So why the preachers of the Rodnoveri faith do not tell us to care for our parents? Well, that's a tricky one. Caring for, honoring parents is one of the Judeo-Christian commandments known to most of modern Rodnovers. Maybe the preachers are worried that they will be accused of contaminating the pagan religion with Judeo-Christian commandments, which would be quite a funny one, as there's already so many unconscious Judeo-Christian biases and contaminations influencing the Rodnoveri doctrine, it truly makes my teeth hurt. But, you know, it's not impossible that the preachers worry about it. But it could be as well that they don't mention the parents because, well, because it's a difficult topic. Vast majority of modern Rodnovers were brought up in a Judeo-Christian, most commonly Roman Catholic or Orthodox, traditions. It means that most of the parents of modern Rodnovers are followers of a Judeo-Christian religion and quite often they are very active followers. Which then means that there usually is a deep division between the pagan outlook of the child and the Judeo-Christian outlook of the parent. 
And this, in turn, is causing misunderstandings, lack of trust, respect, and, in general, deep conflict between the generations. No wonder, then, that modern preachers of Slavic faith do not want to talk about honoring or caring for parents. It is likely that they are themselves at odds with their own folks, so, you know, it's difficult. However, it shouldn't matter that it's difficult. Slavic way is not always easy. What matters is that the historical sources leave no doubt. Pre-Christian Slavs cared for their parents, particularly if those parents were old or if they were ill. Our ancestors made sure that their parents did not go hungry, or homeless or forgotten. And we, the heirs of the Slavic tradition, we should do the same. It's important here to stress that pre-Christian Slavs did not honor their parents in a venerating sense, like you see in some very traditional Indian families. Our ancestors honored their parents only in the caring sense. They made sure their parents didn't go without and they were treated with respect. The actual veneration was reserved for the ancestors, the members of the family who passed away. The veneration of the ancestors was an extremely important element of Slavic culture, so important, in fact, that it remained alive until this day. This is why we, the modern followers of the Slavic faith, we should honor our ancestors and do our best to reconstruct their religion and morality in a responsible, thoughtful, and most accurate way. We shouldn't make up stuff, but we should be determined to get it as right as it's humanly possible. We must not let the Slavic preachers rave about honor or righteousness or monogamic heterosexual marriages because none of this is mentioned in any of the known historical sources. If we want to venerate our ancestors, we must stick to what we know for sure. Let them care for our parents particularly in their old age or in illness, regardless of whether we agree with their outlook or religion or even their expectations towards our own life. If we want to truly honor our ancestors, we must be hospitable and we must not judge strangers or foreigners without getting to know them first. I'm pretty sure that following these rules will not only make us better road lovers, but will also make us better people. And that is pretty much everything I had to say today. I hope my digressions and rants were not too annoying. (laughs) I'm not sure what the next episode will be about. Uh, I'm still trying to decide between a few topics I've been recently thinking through. If there is any topics you would like to be discussed, do let us know though. You can contact us through Vitya's Facebook or Instagram or YouTube through Vitya's website, which is witia.squarespace.com or you can email us at witia.dabouru at gmail.com. It'll be great to hear from you. Take care. Stay safe. And until next time, Suava.